Hello and welcome to the Overland Journal podcast. I'm your host, Scott Brady, and I am here with a special guest today, John Pangalinen. And John is a creative specialist. This guy makes his living and has spent his life telling stories, usually with photography and with video. And he's also built a very cool new Ford Bronco. So we're going to talk a little bit about his Bronco, and then we're going to talk about the lessons that he's learned and the advice that he can give to those of you that are listening on how to best craft your your stories for support in the industry. John is on the receiving end of all of those requests for sponsorship. So John can give some advice on ways to go about that, ways to exceed expectations, and ways to really do your part to make sure that future support is possible, not only for yourself, but for others that come after you. So I think this will be a really interesting conversation. John, thanks so much for being on the podcast. Thanks for having me. So you were actually born in the Philippines. Is that right? I was. What area of the Philippines were you born in? It was very close to Manila, if not in Manila, in Veterans Hospital there. Oh, wow. Very cool. How did you go from being born in the Philippines to then moving to the United States? What how, what was that process? Uh, my dad was a doctor in the Philippines. My mom was studying to be a nurse. We met at the hospital. My mom was then pregnant with me, had me, and then I had family members that were already in the States. But the easiest way for my parents at the time to get to the States was they moved to Nigeria in Africa. So oh, wow. <laughs> I actually turned one in Nigeria. Amazing. I think I was there for less than a year or so. Uh-huh. Uh, then we moved to the East Coast and bounced around. Uh, I have three younger brothers. We've, we are all born in different states. So one, one's in uh, Connecticut, Tennessee, and New York. Wow. And then you ended up spending a chunk of time in New York, but then moving to Southern California and that's where you've lived ever since. That's correct. I lived in Southern California pretty much you know, my whole life and in Moved around in a couple of cities, stayed there because that's where my family's at. Oh, for sure. Well, it's great to be around family. And it's kind of an, an additional story to all of this. So not only, I mean, I grew up in Southern California. We have, we have run in similar circles. And in fact, you and I have, have shared a cocktail or a meal at many different events. In fact, I remember a great snow peak party we were at one year for outdoor retailer, and that was a lot of fun and catching up. Then also our uh, video director, Ryan Keegan, you guys actually grew up together, kind of spent some time together. Yeah, we grew up in, in the city called La Mirada in, in California, just grew up skateboarding. And that's <laughs> yeah. really how we got that's to know great. each other. And then uh, a funny story was, you know, we went our separate ways. Ryan did his thing. I did my thing. But then this world brought us together along with Instagram. And then I placed an order to try to catch up on past issues. Yeah. And he sent me like a little note with the, when the issues came to my house. Like, <laughs> Isn't that great? Ryan is still skateboarding. In fact, the only thing that he tells me is he says he doesn't bounce as well as he used to. So, you know, it's, it's amazing that he's still keeping that up. What a dangerous activity. I wish I could still skate. My back's too messed up now. <laughs> yeah. I think a lot of skateboarders say that, you know, when they hit their forties, they're like, oh, maybe I shouldn't have bounced so many times. What a great area to grow up creatively. And that has no doubt led to some of your story. You talked about being involved with the drifting scene. How did that begin to shape some of your insights around good storytelling? Because you guys were literally creating an industry. So talk a little bit about what you learned in that process. When drifting was first coming to the United States and the group of guys that brought the sport to the States, they definitely helped create this new culture, right? And it's an extension of the import car scene. And but it was exciting because it was actually on the track. It was like, you know, a lot of people called it stunt driving uh, with control in competition. And so that was, you know, 
That also had similar feelings of action sports. And so that really intrigued me. You know, fast forward a couple of years, as the scene group got bigger, um, the agency I was with, we became the agency of record for them and we did creative and PR. Part of the PR gig was really approving media members. Sure. Back then we had so many guys that were just hungry and very talented. And it was a matter of figuring out who made the most sense, who was with real legitimate media outlets. And just giving these guys a shot. A lot of these names and a lot of the guys that started in the drifting world are now, you know, well-established photographers, guys like Larry Chen, who's a Canon brand ambassador. And there's just so many other guys that just, they started from the world of formula drift in the drifting scene. And this leads me to a question. If someone was to come to you saying, I would like to start to tell these stories of this segment. So let's do it in the context of overlanding that someone is looking to get involved with media. Now I have some insights that I'll share as well, but from your perspective, what were you looking for? What were the key attributes that you were looking for in those individuals that allowed you to give them that chance? I think number one was, you know, we, we looked for the outlets that they were associated with or the brands, whether it was a, a tire company or a suspension company that was vouching for these guys or the drivers teams themselves. But often we would have a pool of like 200 to 400 media members and, you know, trying to cut it down from, you know, 500 media requests is kind of was a little bit of a challenge. So what we would do is first, you know, verify that they are with an outlet Two is check them out creatively because some guys, yeah. you just want to give a chance. Sure. Because they, you could see from a lot of talent, the yeah. content that they were creating, the, the images, the visuals that they, these guys really had talent and could create and tell a story. A lot of times we would just give them a pass, or at least I would give them a pass to let's see what they could do. Let's see what type of story they could create at this event and round. So I think for overlanders would be the same thing. It's first go out and do it, go shoot. Don't just expect that you just came out of school, you have a camera yeah. and you're going to be able to hang with these guys. And, you know, second would be stay professional, you know, don't cause any danger. Don't do things you're not supposed to get a lay of the land, learn first what is accepted and what, what is the proper way to do things, you know, you, you kind of have to, at least in my eyes, you need to kind of earn your keep, you know, before yeah, sure. you're just thrown in, in the fire, you know, and especially with the overlanding, you know, you have so many places you can go and a lot of people just are a little disrespectful, I feel like. No, that's such a valid, a valid thing. We're seeing that more and more with overlanding as more folks are getting involved. They just haven't gone through that process of, of recognizing how much public land we've lost access to because of people's poor treatment of the land. So making sure that the media that they're producing always reflects tread lightly and is always respectful of the land because once that image goes out into the world, you can't get it back. Like you think you can, but no, it's a, it's out there forever. And then people say, oh, that was the guy who tore up the side of this mountain or whatever. Yeah. And you know, at the end of the day, it's not worth it for a photo or Instagram, you know, or a video. It's just, it's just not. And I think, you know, the educational process and and people just being respectful and, and humble enough to understand that regardless of the amount of followers, even more so if you have a lot of followers, you should be setting the example. And so, you know, just knowing those things, I think, that's, those are types of things that we look at when you're creating content out in the outdoors. You don't want to be just a quote unquote influencer that sure. really doesn't really give back. They just try to take. Yeah, sure. And there's a lot of that because individuals will associate the number of followers with that, that has value. And oftentimes it does. There's a lot of other things that we look at. Like we look at what is their reputation in the industry? We'll talk to some individuals that they've worked with just to get a gauge. Would you work with this person again? And we'll ask that. And it's, it's interesting the number of times that someone will say, yeah, I wouldn't work with that person again. What happens is, let's say someone is given a set of wheels or they're given Pelican cases. I know you work with Pelican and then they don't do the work. They don't actually deliver on what they said they were going to do. And then that starts to, despite the number of followers you have, the industry folks talk 
professionals talk. It's pretty interesting. We've seen some folks that with large followings that they're kind of now in the in the shadows because they didn't follow through on what they said they were going to do. Absolutely. And it's a small industry, right? Yep. So you mentioned Pelican. You know, I also work with Toyo and I do receive a lot of proposals, a lot of requests, even DMs, you know, requesting yep. product. Most of the people are very respectful or ask how or, or if they can at least just get a discount. Some people expect something and yeah. that's where it, it's a turnoff. You know, I don't care if you have a million followers. And then I have been burned. You know, we have sent product out and we get nothing back. Yep. And, you know, that's just, I guess, the nature of the game. But sure, I'm getting really good at knowing who yeah, to get sure. product to and not. Yeah, and sure. Also create, at least for the two brands that I represent, kind of a, a family team atmosphere. So everyone gets along, everyone can do stuff and everyone wants to participate, be part of the program, you know, and not just uh, receive product and then do one post and call it a day. You know, it's really like, hey, what else can we do together? It's a collaborative effort, you know? Yes, it absolutely is. And when we get inquiries from media, either professionals or aspiring media professionals, so we'll do that. We'll check their references. We are very interested in their first packages and their first communications. It's interesting. Someone will reach out to Overland Journal to write an article and they are struggling to construct a sentence in an email. What that tells us is it it doesn't mean that they're not a great traveler or that they're not going to even be a potentially be a great contributor. It just means that it's going to be a lot more work for us because they may just not have that experience around grammar, spelling, all of these other things that are really important and take a lot of time for our team. So that first impression is so critical when that email comes in that it is, you should at least have it edited, <laughs> have someone else take a look at it. Cause it's funny how much we miss, even if we're pretty experienced ourselves, I miss stuff all the time. And that's why we have amazing editors is because I miss things too, but making sure that that first correspondence is really professional, gets to the point, talks about what you want to deliver, when you can deliver it by, give some examples of what the outcome might look like. The one thing that we love, this is an example that can really help the listeners here is we love it when someone sends a complete package. And I bet you that's the same for you. Somebody who maybe even bought Toyo tires themselves and they've got, they've pulled together all these photos. They've got a little testimony and they send you like a thank you. Hey, I love your tires. I just want you to know how I've been using them. Here's my Instagram account. This is a bunch of photos. You guys are welcome to use them. That probably endears you to them immediately. It definitely does. You know, I think loyalty is very important. You know, unfortunately there's a lot of people that um, they, they want the bigger, better deal. Sure. And so if someone's offering them something shiny on, on one end, they, even though they were with one brand for quite a few years, they might jump ship. It's always hard to come back. That's true. You don't want to burn those bridges. And again, it's a small industry. So word gets around and mm-hmm. it can, can definitely hurt. But I think for those that are loyal and, you know, and there are other instances, like maybe you prefer a different tire for a different type of vehicle. Sure. That's fine too, you know, of course, but, but being a, upfront about that. Absolutely. That's what it yeah. is. It's communication, just uh, no surprises. Yeah. And, and if it's being used in the context of editorial, like for us, uh, we don't do sponsorships. We get product to evaluate for editorial. Oftentimes we pay for it ourselves, but our goal is to really evaluate the product and then get that information out. Um, so that's an advantage to the manufacturer who's provided it is that then it comes with this expert opinion around how the product performed. So I think if someone is an influencer, it's really important for them to determine what it is that they want to do. If they want to evaluate equipment, if they want to have a journalistic approach, they need to be very clear about the fact that that's what they're doing and then not get, you can't be compensated for that. If you're being compensated, 
compensated for your opinion, then I believe that that's a conflict of interest. Now, that doesn't mean that someone can't show beautiful pictures and, hey, thanks, Toyos, for getting me through the day kind of a thing. But if you're saying, oh, these Toyos are better than the BF Goodrich that I took off and you just got paid to do that, then that's, of course, a conflict of interest. And definitely. people find that out really quick. Oh, yeah, definitely. I think in regards to you know the editorial and versus the, the sponsorship on the editorial side, you definitely cannot take any yeah. sort of payment. You know, I think that's why having that journalistic integrity is yep. very important and keeping it church and state separate. And then from the influencer side, it's, you know, just being upfront, you know, when not expecting from most of the brands I work with or have worked with, we typically don't pay influencers. Product usually speaks for itself. And, sure. You know, it's something that they want to use. They shouldn't be paid to use it. Now it'd be different if they, if we use an image for an ad or sure. some marketing campaign, then they should be compensated, you know, for their time and their as talent. A, yeah, sure. And as a photographer and video producer, I understand that side of it too. So it's a, it, it can get complicated and tricky. Yeah. So it's really, how do you navigate this and, and make it work? Yeah. And I think just the more upfront people are, the more transparent they are. Like if you get a free set of tires and you're an influencer and just say, thanks Toyo for providing these tires for me. Like it allows me to have my adventure. And but then you've disclosed that to your audience that it was, it was a sponsorship. I think that that's really important. So, yeah, uh, you know, sponsorship should still be like, like anyone else. Like you should be proud to be sponsored, you know? Yeah. Just like LeBron's sponsored by Nike. Like he, yeah, you know, sure. He's probably There's no really question. Proud. He's <laughs> yeah. a Nike athlete. Yeah, no question. Yeah, I mean, imagine that day when he gets signed by Nike. That would have been an incredible experience for him. On the, the sponsorship side, you get fielded hundreds of requests, I suspect, a month or close to it. What do you look for? If someone was to give you the ultimate pitch, something that you would have found that really works in the past, what does that normally look like? It really depends on what, if it's aligning with the goals that we currently have. So for example, for Toyo right now, the open country line of tires is very popular. The, the AT3 launched more recently. And so we're looking to be able to see tires that go on those vehicles, right? And we want to make sure that we're going to the right storytellers, the guys that have a decent amount of followers, because obviously you don't want to give um, tires to someone that maybe only has a couple hundred people yeah, that sure. are seeing it because it's you're not going to get the most bang for your buck quality of content. And that also depends on, you know, are they going to provide us with content? Are they going to run a decal? Are they attending events? Do they have media coverage planned out? You know, all of those things we take into consideration. And then from there, we're, we're able to determine if we have the budget to yeah. support that. And, uh, you know, as you know, truck tires aren't cheap. So. They're not. Yeah, they're very expensive. And there's not a lot of margin in them either because there's so much competition for tires. So, no, that's interesting. And for those that are listening, just recognizing that all of these companies, they do have a marketing budget that they're working against. So if someone says, I'm sorry, I can't support you right now, it, it doesn't even necessarily mean that they don't like what you pitched. It may just mean that they don't have the budget anymore, that they've sent out all the tires that they can send out. We've also seen, for example, currently there's a, a shortage of a lot of equipment. So there are some things that are just simply not available. We were doing a winch test recently and we couldn't normally Warren would be very supportive of editorial and it would send a product to test. It was just not available from Warren. So we had to find it in the ways that we could and buy it ourselves because it was really important for us to demonstrate the success of that product in the test because it was being tested against six other products. So there's a lot of times that it's not that they don't want to help or that you don't have a great story to tell. They just may not have either the budget or the inventory. Inventory issues, especially in the last couple of years, have been plaguing everyone. You know, there's a lot of shortage of supplies, workers at the factory. 
Yeah. So everything is a little bit, you know, on the manufacturing side has, has slowed down. Thankfully, you know, we've been able, people that we work with are very understanding as well as we're also able to um, work our magic and sure. try to get tires to the people that need to get them. Yeah, sure. Now that makes a lot of sense. The next question for me then is now that someone wants to start to tell a story to their audience, whatever size that it may be, or maybe they really want to build an audience. What's some advice that you would give someone that wants to build up their audience on Instagram or on Facebook or on TikTok or whatever platform that they're choosing to, to focus on? What are some pieces of advice you'd give to them? I think number one is just consistency. And the people that we work with that have large followings, they didn't give up. They stayed true to their voice. They told their story. And even if there was only a few people viewing their image or liking their image, they kept at it. It takes time to build an audience. It really does. And you know, you can't expect to, uh, you know, to, to do a couple of posts and all of a sudden you're this famous celebrity. <laughs> sure. So sure. consistency is definitely key. I think quality of content, making sure it's, you're using the best technology you can afford, although you don't really need to have like the best camera you might have just a good iPhone, but also having just that creative eye helps sure. a lot and, uh, and staying with the trends, you know, obviously the algorithms are tricky these days to grow that audience. And I think if you can find your own natural voice, that's important too. And you know, that's really it. It's just sticking with it. You know, I, I see a lot of people that they give it a shot for a few months and then they, they give up. I mean, it's hard. It's like, I like this podcast, you know, you have to start, you know, although you had an audience already. Sure. It know, took time. Yeah. It takes a lot of time and dedication out of your day. And you know, that's another thing is like, do you have the time to do it? Can you support this? Is it worth it to you to, to give up whatever else you're doing? to really go after it. It's yeah. like anything else. If you are passionate about it, you're going to do well and it'll show. And I think that's, uh, you know, that's really all I have. I mean, I don't have a large following myself. But I'm you also- work with brands that do. Yeah, I for do. Sure. <laughs> well, so you certainly have learned what works. For us, it's the same way. We choose, when we choose to do something new as an organization, we think about it for a long time and we make sure that we understand it and that we can serve the audience properly with the content. It'll be years between us doing something new because we really want to continue to be great at the things that we're already doing. And we try really hard to continue to be great at those things. And that takes a lot of energy. So when we bring up something like a podcast, it's so important to have all of the right pieces. And then to your point, being able to do it week in and week out and stick with it. Yeah. Too often people, you know, give up on themselves. I think that's the, one of the problems of social media is that if you're not getting the likes, the clicks, it can affect your mental health a little Mm. bit. And I think that's going to be a problem more so, especially when you see other people, you know, you get a little bit of a FOMO. So it, it really, you you have to be tough. You have to be able to continue doing what you're doing and, and just have a little bit of a, of a drive and, and a little bit of a thick skin as well mm. in order to succeed at this. You mentioned that your your degree is actually in psychology and social behavior. So that's an interesting question. When it comes to platforms like Instagram, have you found either advice or things that work to help people maintain that healthy perspective or to be as healthy as possible around social media? And what would you suggest that people consider? I think the the people that are very successful are honest and honest with their audience and also open. There's a lot of people that curate their stories. They don't show the downsides of, of things. And there are a lot of people that show share everything, the ups, the downs, and everything around it. I think the ones that are open probably have the best engagement, have a more authentic and genuine following. I don't know if getting a lot of likes and clicks translates for some of the brands into sales necessarily. For us, we look at what will eventually create a customer or or someone loyal to the brand. And you know, I think I see what you're saying. Are, yeah. are now pushing what they think their audience wants to see and, and compromising what, you know, what they're doing. And I, you know, I think it's also healthy to take a break every now and then, yeah. you know, and just, you know, you have to do what you have to do that, you know, 
your health comes number one. I had a pretty serious family loss recently and I just completely stopped for, I needed to. It was a, a significant loss for my family. So I just didn't even open up Instagram and I got back on probably four weeks later and just the number of messages and everything. But I realized that it was okay. Like it's all right to do that. And maybe it's really a good idea to do that. And I think to your point also is, let's say you take a musician or a celebrity that has a, a massive following because of their talent talent as a creative that would not necessarily translate to selling tires. That's true. And I think that we're seeing that more and more is brands being discerning around conversions. Audience size does not relate to conversions. So another good example of that in the automotive industry is maybe someone who has a very inexpensive car, like a 30-year-old Porsche, unmodified, and they have this huge following because the person's really funny and their photos are great and everything, but inputting new tires on that Porsche probably does not translate into a lot of sales. If it's someone with a newer car that is more interested in the aftermarket and the aftermarket is being supported on that channel, then you'd probably see a higher conversion. Exactly. So, you know, there's a lot of factors in someone's feed that we, we definitely look at and that's that's one. Does it make sense? Is their audience the type of audience that will purchase tires or any other parts for that matter? Or are they simply looking at it because it's a pretty car that they like yeah, in, sure. in these uh, beautiful landscapes? Yeah. Pretty car, pretty person, something that is it's visually interesting in and of itself, but doesn't necessarily translate to an enthusiast for sure. Well, let's pivot a little bit towards production and photography. So talk a little bit about what is your kit? What do you use when you want to go out and shoot a, shoot a car? It depends on the shoot, right? Obviously, if we're doing something just quick and easy, you know, I'm shooting my personal car for something. It's a small kit. You know, I use, I have a Pelican Air case that travels with me almost everywhere. I have a Sony a7 R2 camera, which is like my backup event camera. So you'll see me at trade shows with that because it's light and nimble, easy to use. Super easy. Yeah. But my workhorse now is a Canon R5. And then I have a host of lenses always in the kit, you know, every memory cards, filters, all yeah. that fun stuff. I do use a lot of strobe lighting. I use Profoto. It just depends on the shoot. If it's a commercial shoot, we, we just wrapped up a couple projects last year with Lincoln. Yeah, there's a lot of lighting, a lot of production goes into that and more or less a, a full day shoot for something like that. But if it's something in the outdoors, you just use natural light. You use what yeah. you have. Sometimes you'll strobe something or or, or have a light bar or, or something like that. But it, it just really depends. Yeah, or a nice reflector or just waiting for the light to get right. It's interesting uh, when, when we do shoots, if we take the time to make sure we're in the right location with the right light, it just, it, the photographer hasn't changed. It's still the same person, but the outcome is an order of magnitude more beautiful because all of that energy was spent on finding the right scene and the right light and the right color of vehicle. And then it completely changes it. Yeah. Planning is everything, you know, it can save you hours and a lot of post-processing time as well. I went on this event called the Overland Express Rally through Death Valley recently and I was hired to shoot it. That's more run and gun. You're sh- I'm shooting sure. out the window. I'm jumping out of the car. Yeah. I'm getting muddy, dirty, shooting what- whatever I can. At the same time, I can't hold the group back because one, I don't know where the next end point is. I don't sure. know if we're going to stop. Two, you know, it's just, you just got to capture what you can where you are. And, you know, I think that's a little bit of advice is just, you just have to be ready, you know, and, yeah. and just get what you can. Sometimes it's not going to be the perfect moment or the perfect settings, or you just have to do what you can in that moment. Some of the advice that we will give folks in that scenario is you want to try to capture three different perspectives. You want to capture the landscape, the environment that you're in. You want to capture the subject, which may be a person cooking dinner or deflating a tire. So you've got this portrait and then you want to capture the details. A lot of times I'll see people out shooting. They're shooting everything at six, one, six foot 
So they're all standing up and it's all the same perspective where their phone is held up in front of their face instead of getting down low or getting up high, changing the focal length. So that way it starts to look different. When people shoot, every time you get out to take a photograph, it's probably worth taking the time to get a landscape shot or get the vehicle or the person in the context of their space, getting that beautiful portrait and then getting the detail of something. Maybe that's the tire print on the ground, or maybe that's the Choya cactus that's stuck into the tread, or maybe it's the splatter of mud up the side of the vehicle, or maybe it's just the eye and the curl of a smile of the person driving the vehicle. If we can capture those three perspectives as much as we can, then we end up with a really nice visual story. That's one of our biggest challenges with Overland Journal is we get a lot of front three-quarter center-punched vehicle in midday light, and it's just not usable. We can't use the content. Whereas if people take the time, like we said, to get the right light, get those multiple perspectives, use rule of thirds, things that start to tell a more beautiful story visually, then that's content that we can use. Definitely. You hit it right on the head. It's really being prepared and telling that visual story. You know, you you can't just get one, especially for editorial, right? You have to tell a story. You have to tell who is the person, what are the details of the vehicle? Where did they go? What about the landscapes? Where where did they travel to? What are the conditions to terrain? All of it. It's digital. So it's essentially free, right? Just burn, burn megapixels, burn them. Yeah, totally. This content is brought to you by Overland Journal, our premium quality print publication. The magazine was founded in 2006 with the goal of providing independent equipment and vehicle reviews, along with the most stunning adventures and photography. We care deeply about the countries and cultures we visit and share our experiences freely with our readers. We also have zero advertorial policy and do not accept any advertiser compensation for our reviews. By subscribing to Overland Journal, you're helping to support our employee-owned and veteran-owned publication. Your support also provides resources and funding for content like you are watching or listening to right now. You can subscribe directly on our website at overlandjournal.com. What are you seeing as trends or piece of advice around video production now? Are you seeing things that are really working? I mean, is it true that we need to be focusing a lot of energy now on these very snackable, call it a TikTok or a Reels format? Do people really need to be paying attention to that right now? You think there's still room for mid and long length video? I think it's both, right? It also depends on your audience. Um, If you want to reach the younger consumer and audience, then you definitely have to do the snackable little stories, little tidbits, and because that's where the audience is. They're on TikTok. They're watching the reels. Instagram's pushing the reels more and more. So... You definitely should be creating that type of content. I'm a little bit older as well, and I appreciate the long form content as well. And I think there's definitely people that will will watch everything. And then you'll have some guys that'll watch some of it and some guys that'll watch, you know, the the rest. You also have to think about the attention spans of people. It's It's getting shorter and shorter. It's not what it once was for sure. Yeah, for sure. Well, and that's just, I guess, just being recognizing that that's where the audience is going. And that's just okay. It doesn't, it's not that I, it's not my place to change it. My job is to tell a story and my job is to test equipment. And if people are consuming that content in a different way, that's okay. We just need to adjust and uh, not be upset that the cheese is moving. Yeah. Or use one to promote the other. Right? Mm-hmm. You have a 15 second teaser of changing tires and then go into the deeper dive of why you change the tires on the long format. Right. Yeah, so for just- sure. You just have to use all the platforms. So, you know, social media and the roles that they're creating, um, you know, there's definitely a career 
that, uh, that you can have. Yeah, no question. <laughs> it's amazing the amount of energy that it takes to do that properly. All right. So that leads me then to shifting gears a little bit. Let's talk about your Bronco. I had the chance to to test a um, wild track Bronco a couple months ago, lockers, front and rear, sway bar disconnects, all the goodies. You had to have gotten one of the first Broncos off the line. I mean, yours has got to be an early car. I think mine's pretty early. I got it October 4th, right towards the beginning. Um, I also placed my order uh, on day two. I made a few changes to try to get it ahead of time. I played that game. There was a lot of things going around online and on the forums that were like, okay, if you did this, you can get it this much earlier because there's delays with the hard tops or, or whatever. So got it pretty early. I also built it to the specs that I think that I would use, you know, cause I, I don't do much rock crawling. I sure, you know, it's more of a daily driver for me and family vehicle for the weekends. And so I wanted, that's why I I chose a four door. I also wanted to be comfortable. So I went with the, and I also just like the look of the outer banks with the painted fenders. And yeah, yeah. So I went with that and I also knew I was going to modify it. Definitely chose the, the vehicle that, that I would use for myself that would make the most sense without going overboard. I, I think the wild track is a little rare right now to yeah, find yeah. as well. Super hard, but probably super find. fun. Your Bronco is amazing. I mean, that color that you pick, we're going to include photographs in the YouTube version of this so that people can see it. We'll even have some video of it as well. Uh, Ryan and John are going to go out and shoot a full feature on the truck as well. So that'll be available on the YouTube channel for those who want to see this car. But this color it's probably one of the coolest colors I've ever seen on a Bronco. Now, what inspired you to use that color? It's it's kind of, um, for those that are just listening, like how would you describe the color? I would say it's in between like an olive green and a mint green. If those two colors had a baby, it'd become, <laughs> it would be boxwood green. Okay, so it's called boxwood green. Yeah, cool. and, and it's a, actually an older uh, Ford Bronco color. So I wanted to... Original Bronco or Bronco... I, I believe it's one of the originals, an early Bronco sure. color. And it's, um, I've seen it in person, took a mental note of it. And it was something that when I saw the Bronco first, I'm like, wow, they really kept to the the old body style. They really yeah. kept. So in my build, I wanted to do something different. I knew that people were going to go crazy with the modifications. The accessories are going to go full off-road. Well, that's not really me. You know, yeah. I always like to have a little bit of style. I'm known a little bit for the color choices that I've, I've done with the, the project vehicles that I've done. And so that green was really stood out. It pays homage to the iconic Bronco. So And it's that. also understated. It's yes. not a, it's not a very flashy color. It's just extremely handsome on the truck. And then the second thing that you notice is the white grill. Is there anything different about that grill or just because it's white like that against that green that it looks so different? The Outer Banks has a slightly different, same shape and size, but for some reason Ford changed every grill on every model of got the it. Bronco. So I got the Badlands grill because I thought it looked the best. And then I also have the, the Kid Tracks, which is kind of like a Power Wheels Bronco for my kids. And I had it painted <laughs> to match oh, and sweet. it had the Badlands grill too. So match them better. I, I changed my grill and painted it and had it painted white. You wanted to match your kid's grill. Yeah. That's good. I yeah. like that. So that's matching awesome. vehicles and I'll, I'll, I'll give you a photo. Yeah. We got to get, we totally <laughs> got to get your kid's truck. That's awesome. The other thing that really stands out is the white wheels. So talk about the wheels that are on there and why did you choose those? So I have a set of the 1552 analog wheels. I believe I have the first set of white analog wheels for the Bronco that came into the States. Uh, thankfully, I know those guys over there and they were kind enough to hold them for me for the vehicle until my truck came. That ultimately gave me the decision to then paint the car. You know, it was a brand new vehicle. Like why, why do you paint it? That's crazy. I wanted to stand out again. And also I knew it was going to be displayed with Toyo at, um, at SEMA. So to stand out at SEMA, you have 
have to do some crazy things sometimes. Yeah, sure. Those white wheels, they look like an old school steel wheel, but they're not, but they're aluminum. I think they look great. In fact, I think Matt Scott, the co-host of the of the show, has those same wheels on his LJ Jeep. They're in black on his, his Jeep and they look so good. Now, the other thing that I noticed in the back is because you're a photographer and you do go camping with your family and everything, you've paid attention to some organization in the back of the Bronco. What did you install back there that kind of helps you make the best use of that small space? First, the Bronco has no cargo space. Yeah, very little. Coming from an SUV into the Bronco, there's not much. And I can't really put my seats down when I have my kids in the back because they're in the back. So the goose gear plate in the back, which adds a little bit of uh, some protection and uh, makes it really easy to just throw things in and out. I have their tailgate table, which folds down nicely. Yeah, and, that looks great. And uh, yeah, I can put my grill on there. I can do my coffee setup, my cameras, whatever. That comes in really handy. Yeah, having a work table. Since it doesn't, since the truck doesn't have a tailgate, it becomes your tailgate, which is perfect. Exactly. And then I have a, a Dometic CFX uh, fridge in there and with the Goose Gear camp kitchen. Yeah. And then it slides out really nice and easy. And yeah, and so everything is in the back organized. I typically have my Pelican camera case with me. I have a Pelican Cargo BX50, which just is dry storage. Mm-hmm. But inside there right now is like, I think I have a couple, uh, all of my coffee making kit. It's important, man. It is. It's important. You know, I don't know how long Ryan's going to have me out on the trails tomorrow <laughs> and it's cold out here. Yeah, it is. It's right. You're, you're from Southern California. Yeah. This is cold. There's actually snow on the ground yeah. in Prescott right now. Yeah. So I brought, so I bought the coffee kit along with awesome. the, my goal zero. And then I just, you know, just to make it easy and I didn't want to bring propane. I just brought my uh, electric uh, water kettle thing. You've had the Bronco now then for you know, five, six months. How has it held up? Have you enjoyed the truck? What are the things that you've learned? The pros and cons, like to give the listener, like what's the lowdown on the, on the Ford Bronco now that you've owned it for as long as you have? Uh, first off, I love Ford. They've been a great client, but the, the Bronco itself, I think one, it looks awesome. And yeah. I get the most compliments I've ever gotten, both male, female, thumbs out the window, people stopping me at Target, you know, to talk about it. So it's an exciting truck. There are a couple downsides. One, I think is with the soft top, it is loud inside, especially on the freeway at speed. But with the the B and O sounds, the hard top is loud too, man. <laughs> so I, I think that soft top was a good choice, and it looks great. And it looks great, and it's fun to take the top down. Yeah, for sure. The, but then I lose the ability to have a, a rack on top, so I lose more storage space or for a tent or whatever else on. But with the top down, I could also fit a, a surfboard, you know, so there, there are definitely pros and cons and so sure. looking forward to the summer and cause I, I, I'm not much of a cold weather surfer. The other thing that I came across was the back seats with my two kids and they're not, they're not big. They're three and four or three and five. Sorry, Chris. My original car seats have a higher bolster. So there was only this little window where they could fit in. I'd have to put him, carry him up. The truck's lifted and I'm not the tallest guy, put him sideways and then put him in. <laughs> You're talking about your kid. You got to put yeah. your kid sideways yeah, and then put to him, fit him in. So he didn't slam his head on the oh, top, no. which I've done a couple of times. Oh no. <laughs> so uh, thankfully I, I got new car seats from this brand called Diono and they have the, the lowest bolster and they're the brand that's known for doing three across in the back. I only have got two it. kids, but every bit of space helps. And so th- that helped a lot in, in terms of having them fit, but also, you know, uh, my wife and I are both not the biggest of people and their feet and legs still touch the back wow. or can. So that's, you know, it's not the biggest of space and it, it, 
and I get it because they have stadium seating in the back. So sure. It's raised up higher so you don't get car sick on the trails. And sure. Although my, my daughter did get car sick on our last Joshua tree oh. trip. Oh no. That was probably <laughs> exciting. Yeah. That's when you glad the interior can hose out. I, I don't have the hose out. Interior, oh no. But she kept it on herself. Oh no. Yeah. Gotcha. Adventures, adventures and family travel. The dad life. Yeah. yeah. That's great, man. That's but, awesome. You know, that's what, that's what it's for. And uh, you know, outside of that, the kids love it. I picked them up from school. They, they can point it out. They call the Bronco, the Bronco, you know, I'm not one of those guys that names the, my cars. Sure. So, yeah. It's, it's definitely a, a vehicle that is fun. I mean, it checked all the boxes for a vehicle that I wanted, right? I wanted something capable for when we do go on trips and, and things and do go camping and on trails and, and we're just going to have a blast this spring and summer, I think. And it also just, uh, it's just an iconic vehicle and just to have it. Totally. It's, it's really fun, you know, but yeah, it's special. I mean, if I had say the, the, the garage space, um, it would be more of a weekend vehicle than, yeah. than my daily driver, which it is right now. But it's, uh, you know, outside of that, it's, uh, it's been fun. I, I mean, I haven't knock on wood broken anything yet. You know, I've done a couple of trails and, uh, yeah, it's just, uh, it's just one of those vehicles that it feels special driving. You look forward to getting into, you know, it's, it's fun. Yeah. The one that we had was so fun. Another question, the test vehicle that we had, we noticed that some of the interior materials were maybe not super durable. Have you, but we didn't know how that was going to go long-term. Our very short-term experience led us to believe that those interior materials may not hold up very well. How is your dash held up? The plastic, is that holding up okay? So far, so good. And you know, no issues with the dash. Although um, I do want to wrap it to match because I had the Navy pure interior and I just don't think that it matches right with the green Got it. color scheme. So I found one upholstery um, shop that said they can do it. The first shop wasn't very confident. And I did have it, all my seats rewrapped with cat skin, uh, the leather. So that's held up pretty well. I, I do notice that the, the back cargo area does scratch a little bit. Yeah, that's what we experienced was the dash itself. And then some of the fascias on the doors, just a lot of small scratches came up pretty quickly. Is that what you've experienced or not, not, not so bad? Really. I'm also oh, that's good. pretty careful too. And mm. I haven't had, you know, even with the kids, like no major issues there or that I notice. Mm-hmm. I also have a really good detail guy. <laughs> oh, that's good. Good guy to have. Now, do you have the 2.3 liter or the 2.7? I have the 2.7. Yeah, that's a nice motor. Jeez, that, it rips. And yours is the automatic or the manual? Automatic. Nice. It is a great looking truck and it'll be fun to have it here to support the YouTube side of it. And then people will be able to check it out, a full video of it as well. So that, that is a really handsome vehicle. When it comes to building vehicles, one of the things that I noticed about yours, it's consistent with the way that I like to build vehicles as well is just to be a little more elegant and understated. I think that people make the mistake of putting so much stuff on their vehicles that it kind of, it doesn't end up looking very clean or very, even very elegant at the end of the day. Have you found that to be the case? Are people better off underdoing the vehicle and then focusing on something special like the paint color? Or do you find that it actually does work just as well to bolt on a bunch of accessories? That comes down to personal preference and style, right? And also what what's the utility of the vehicle, right? I, I wasn't, I know who I am and I know, you know, I'm confident enough to say I don't need to do that much to, for, to a vehicle to make it look good and perform well. I think, you know, as I, I've gotten older, I think simple is, um, is more my style now and, yeah. and doing a couple pop elements, you know, the wheels, the paint now, and then also choosing how do colors work 
weld together. Originally, even the side mirrors were um, body matched. So instead of going to the green, I kept it, I, I painted it black actually, just so that that line flowed well. The belt line was uninterrupted. Yeah. yeah. You know, I try nice. to look at those little design touches. You know, am I going to paint the door handles white and the fenders white? No, not really. Cause I think that's a little bit too much and playing off of that theme too much, at least for my style. Right. And I, yeah. again, everyone has their own style. I, you know, I could have added a million lights to it, but I think that distracts from the vehicle and how often am I really going to drive at night? You know, mm-hmm. I try to get to the campsite before it gets cold. You know, I don't like setting up at, at dark. So that's, you know, you, I think you have to know your personal style. Um, also what you plan to achieve and do you want your vehicle to stand out that much? And with all these accessories attached to it, you know, if you're going anywhere, you can have it taken, stolen. Yeah. The gas mileage on the Bronco isn't, I, we didn't talk about this, but it's not the best. Yeah, and, sure. And so yeah, imagine yeah. a roof rack or a roof yeah. tent on there. It would just affect it even exactly. more for sure. You know, and gas prices these days aren't. <laughs> no, it's expensive for sure. The truck looks great. And congratulations on, first of all, even getting a Bronco, which people have been waiting for a very long time to get a car. And then with how awesome it looks too. And, and I really appreciate your insights on content and on working with professionals and aspiring professionals in the space. As a content creator and as someone who evaluates people's content, do you have any last pieces of advice that you would want to give someone listening that is hoping to get into media, that they're hoping to have to maybe be some version of an influencer themselves or to be able to work for themselves as a content creator? Do you have a couple pieces of advice that you'd want to close with to help them make that path? Yeah, I think, you know, anyone that is serious about doing it. You know, they have to stick with it and have a passion for it, regardless if it's, you know, they want to shoot vehicles, they want to shoot landscapes, they want to, you know, do more adventure travel, just be consistent and just really just also find the right mentors. I mean, that's key. You know, you need to find people that have done it, people that have uh, found their calling and all of those people see see what their path was, you Mm. know, before you can create your own, you know, I think it's rare where someone just right off the bat is that guy. No, it's impossible. It's it's hard. And that's people look like overnight successes, but it takes decades to get there. Usually who were some mentors for you that made a big difference that come to mind for you in the creative photography space? Um, I mentioned to you earlier when I was at uh, my older agency, I'd worked for a a photographer that came from the skate world. Um, his name is Michael Ballard. And so I assisted him for years, you know, even before I picked up a camera, um, he, he was definitely a mentor in, in terms of, uh, you know, going on shoots, getting some of that experience under my belt. Sure. And then I would say some of my contemporaries and, and friends now, or I look up to them, guys like Larry Chen, Will Rogie, DC Chavez, Jose Martinez. These are all guys that you might not be familiar with, but they have been, they definitely made an impact on my life. And, and you've that's probably awesome. seen their work before. You yeah, know? that's and, amazing. And, you know, I'm, I'm thankful that I've been, I was able to meet all of these people, you know, and having that role, um, doing the PR for, for formula drift where I got to meet them at, in the early stages of their careers and, you know, seeing guys like the, all of the Hoonigan team, you know, wow. off from where they are to, sure. to where they're at now. It's amazing. like, it's incredible, you know, and content that, that they're generating and the audience that they have now it's, yeah, it's, it's mind blowing. And just to see these guys that were like going like six deep in a motel room, you know, to like now <laughs> traveling the world, you know, and it's, it's, it's insane. It's we're very uh, fortunate to be able to, to do what we do and, yes. you know, and have the friends that we have. Um, I do have to mention some of the guys that I work with that, you know, that are friends and fantastic uh, creators and overlanders, you know, uh, Richard and Ashley Lindbergh and Carissa Gondurton. Um, Mac and Owen from Bound for Nowhere, like those guys, I really look up to them because they're able to do what they want to do. They're still creating, they're traveling. 
And it's, you know, I can't do that because I'm a bit older and I have a mortgage and a family. You know? <laughs> sure. And uh, maybe later on, <laughs> you know, those guys are uh, definitely people that I, I look up to. Yeah, no, that's that's such great advice. And it, it is so important that we surround ourselves with other people that inspire us. Uh, and it makes all the difference. Uh, one of the questions that we like to ask on the podcast, and it's okay if you don't have an answer for this, but are there any books or uh, readings that you've done that have been really formative to your life, either as a creative or as a traveler? Are there books that you have found are just, and it can even be about philosophy or psychology books that have been really formative for you? Yeah, I've read a lot of books and uh, you know, I've transitioned more to podcasts and, and uh, audible books. Um, I think one that really stands out is Tipping Point by Ma- Malcolm Gladwell. I was given That's that by one. one of my mentors, but more on the marketing side of things. And that was a, a good one. One more recent audio book that I, I listened to, I think that that was interesting and entertaining. And is one of those books that, or one of those reads that you wanted to just keep listening to and finish was Will Smith's. Oh, wow. Like just cool. hearing his story was really cool. The founder of Patagonia. Uh, book was really inspiring as well. And was it the teach my people to surf something like something that? Something like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. I don't really remember. Yvonne Chouinard. Yeah. Yes. And uh, that, you know, just the company culture. And I, you know, I, I really enjoy like the foundings of companies and, and brands and how people built what they they've done. And so one of my favorite podcasts is how I built this. And that, you know, that one's really uh, great suggestion. Inspiring. Yeah. That one uh, started listening to, I listened to yours. I listened to a couple on the way up here. Sure. You know, like there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of content out there, you know, yeah. you know, it's uh, and a lot of books that are, that are great. Have you read Shoe Dog yet? The Nike story. Yes. That's oh, actually one of my favorites of all. It time. is. Yeah. Yeah. I, I listened to that as an audiobook while I was on a motorcycle up through South America and I was just enraptured in this guy's story. It was just unbelievable what they went through oh my God. to get through that. It's just incredible. Imagine being Onasuka Tiger and just regretting yeah. every minute of it. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah. <laughs> Such a good story. How do people find out more about you? How do they follow you on Instagram, see your photography and creative work? What are some ways that people can follow you? Uh, so I mainly focus on Instagram and my, my handle is at, at John, J-O-H-N underscore Pangolinan, P-A-N-G-I-L-I-N-A-N. Or you can just check out the website at jpand.co. So jpandco is the company. Nice, man. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. We look forward to having your truck out in the field tomorrow and shooting that video with it and sharing it with our audience. But uh, enjoy your day tomorrow and safe travels home, John. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you.